0: Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Frontend Happy Hour. This is episode 38 and we are joined by Shirley Wu, a freelance software engineer who specializes in data visualization. We are fortunate enough to have Shirley join us today to talk about and discuss front end data visualization. Shirley, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do and what your favorite happy hour beverage is?
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Ryan. So hi, my name is Shirley. Like Ryan said, I am a freelance software engineer. And well, yeah, I build data visualizations. Um, And then I think I guess my most popular visualization thus far has been um, an interactive visualization of every line in Hamilton where I visualized every single oh, line yeah. but I do other things other storytelling kind of data visualizations or previously before I started freelancing I was at a sec- enterprise security startup where I worked on data visualization the data visualization part of their product and then my favorite happy hour beverage, or in general, alcoholic beverage. These days, I drink a lot of beer and I drink a lot of stouts. But um, in my younger days, I enjoy lots of scotch, though I am no connoisseur.
0: Perfect. We all enjoy both of those. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's also go around the table and give brief
0: introductions of today's panelists. August, you want
2: to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Augustus I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. Stacey London, front-end engineer at Atlassian.
3: Uh Jem Young, Senior Software Engineer at Netflix.
2: And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a
0: software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Frontend Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. So what did we decide today's keyword is?
4: Charts. Charts.
0: <laughs> charts. So if any of us say the word chart or charts plural, we will all take a drink. All right, well, let's jump right in. I'm interested to know how much experience everyone has with doing data visualization. I know, Shirley, obviously you probably have the most, but I'd be interested to know in general, have you all done that in your careers, done it on the side? Is it something that you've played around with?
2: Yeah. Uh, when I started at Evernote, I worked as an analytics intern. And so I kind of helped build out their like customizable dashboard for graphs and they used D3 for that at the time because. My manager really liked Drupal. He wanted me to make the customizing CMS part with Drupal, but yeah. I also, when I interned at Workday, um, a lot of like the charts... Oh, dang it. Oh, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> <laughs> it.
0: started off strong. Damn. It's good. Cheers. Cheers.
2: A lot of the things, connecting <laughs> things. Uh, my project for that, uh, for that internship was working on the organization Connecting things, <laughs> and, uh, and so we use D3 for that. So
0: awesome! What is D3? Uh,
2: D3 is uh, it stands for data-driven documents. documents. Yeah, and it, it's a pretty popular graphing library that uses like SVG. And the way Mike Bostock kind of made it was it's very like well geared and intuitive for. St- Statisticians, <laughs> of sorts, maybe yeah. Well,
1: so I think the only thing I want to add on to that is um, it's a really great tool for visualization. So it's not like a lot of the other graphing libraries. <laughs> and by graphing, <laughs> I mean the other word.
4: Charts. Um, <laughs> cheers, cheers. Cheers.
1: Where you input data and it makes the graph for you. Whereas D3 is very low level. It uses HTML, SVG, Canvas, anything. And it basically just makes it easier for you to display your data in the web.
0: And it's all in JavaScript.
1: It's all in JavaScript, yes. And I do want to add that I'm always kind of surprised because I think of data visualization as such a niche. But D3 is actually like the second or third most popular JavaScript library or something like that. Wow. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's the go to. If you have to do any sort of graph or charts,
4: <laughs>
0: Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. That's Cheers. what you use. Oh god. <laughs> Stacy gem, if you had any experience?
4: Um not a not too much. Um I know in the past job we used high charts um to add some. Does that count? Does that count? Does that count? That, no, that, that's a single word. Oh, that is it's a, single a single word. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair. We'll let you off with that one.
4: Oh. I didn't do a ton with that. I've played around with Raphael like a while back for fun. Same thing with D3. It was like just for fun. Um, I've never actually for, you know, my daytime job, you know, had to build out some sort of complex data visualization. So I haven't dug into it too much. So, and you were saying like, you know, it's such a specialization and I kind of feel like it is only because D3 was sort of complicated to me when I tried it. And I was like, oh, I feel like you'd have to spend a lot of time with this to get really good at it. And yeah. So that's kind of my experience.
3: My second job was at Chartbeat in New York where it's an analytics company. So I did a lot with D3, cool. which I think my, I've never been good at data visualization, like just it's not my forte, kind of like design, but I find it like, it's much more complicated than you would think. Even in 2017, it's, it's, it's more complex to get the data, the right shape, cause I'm just not an expert. D3 is, it's made by like, he's a doctor of math, right? Like um,
1: my he was a PhD at Stanford, and I think he's always been computer science, yeah. yeah. Um, but he has math leanings, if that's what you mean. Yeah, it's
3: it's like a really complex library. You could do amazing things. But, yeah, integrating that with Angular at the time, which I was on Angular oh, 1, it was, yeah. it was such a nightmare that I was like, ah, get it done, like get it working, and then I mm-hmm. like, walked away. But that's my experience.
0: I've played around with D3, like, but I don't believe I've ever used on our project. I have done some data visualizations for banking applications and having to actually make graphs for plotting out mortgage calculators and things like that. But I don't even think D3 existed when I did it. So it was a lot of manipulating SVG with just vanilla JavaScript, maybe jQuery at the time, and then outputting it to a PDF. So it wasn't easy. I would have loved to have D3 at the time. but got it done and I haven't really had to do much with it since. So I'm interested to talk more about it. So yeah, Yeah. how would you describe data visualization?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. So that's a really great question. So I think. It's kind of like what Jen was saying. It's a little bit more complicated than we at first give it credit for. Because when people ask me what do you do, and I'm like data visualization, and they're like, what's data visualization, and I'm like, you visualize data, like, <laughs> 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 which because anything more involved of an answer actually like you know includes going into how um, it's actually about uh, you know getting your data sources and exploring the data and figuring out like kind of all of the shapes and different you know attributes of the data and then once you explore the data you kind of have to figure out what is a good visual encoding for that data so that whoever is your consumer for that visualization can understand what you're trying to communicate, what are the insights and the patterns that you've found through that data. And it's used a lot um, in, I think, corporations as like internal like dashboards, tools to help make business decisions. I think that's one um, I'm starting to see a little bit more in terms of in product, um, where... A company's customers might use it to solve some sort of problem on their end. Uh, my previous one, I'm um We were doing it for security, networking security, so we did visualization to show the customers their kind of data center traffic and like which ones were more vulnerable and which ones should be secured, et cetera, which was really interesting. And then on the other hand, there's also data visualization for kind of storytelling. so like a lot of newspapers and journals, like New York Times is absolutely amazing at what they do, yes, (laughs) collective. (laughs) Yeah, I think those are what I see mostly, but kind of at the end of the day, day trying to gain insight out of data to understand behaviors or understand what's going on.
4: Maybe that complexity is like not only knowing what data to feed into some particular chart but uh, (laughs) 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 at a higher level how to distill something down into something simple so that it can, a a story can be told. And so you have to think in terms of like aesthetics and and design combined with the data and i think that's a hard thing to like combine
0: you can screw it up big time is like i've seen some graphs where it doesn't make sense so it's actually confusing mm-hmm. so that's not helpful at all like, yeah you're not actually helping visualize the data at that point so i think there is an art just to choosing the right way to do it yeah a pie chart might not be the right one
2: <laughs> cheers I know.
4: I know. that one always gets the uh <laughs> that one always gets all the all the the hate on yes
1: yes <laughs> i mean there's a narrow subset when uh, A pie chart. Cheers. Cheers.
2: (laughs) There's no way around
1: pie chart. It's the good, right choice. um, And that would be like when you want to show percentages of holes. But anything else is usually risky business. But I think it's exactly what you touched on about how it gets a little bit more complicated and it's, also super fun because it's not only the data and the data science, but it's also the design aspect of choosing the right visual encoding. It's also kind of the statistics of making sure that what you have is not misleading or because like we know with statistics, it's easy to mislead. And so it's, it's a bunch of things together. And it's a fun field because there's very few people that can do that whole spectrum perfectly. And people kind of specialize in either like, you know, coding a visualization itself or doing the data analysis or, and so it's very collaborative and people come from different fields and that's, that's what makes it fun.
0: Augustus, you brought up D3. Uh, I would love to hear why is D3 so popular? Like what makes it such a great framework for using for data visualization?
2: I personally think that it covers a lot of things, like it covers a lot of bases that like a lot of. at at least at the time when I was researching a lot of um, graphing libraries at the time. So when I worked at Workday, they were like, okay, just get, just choose a framework, make a pitch for it. And so I had to look through all of them. So Raphael was one and D3 by far was the one that seemed to give the most options. And I've read a lot of documentation about it. To be honest, I haven't been in the data visualization scene since then. So actually, I don't know if there are any new things. There was one called Victory for mm-hmm. React. I haven't really looked into it, but to be fair, like I, I felt like D3 just has like a lot of, like a huge community behind it. Reading a lot of the articles that Mike Bostock has come and seeing all the examples, there's like so many examples of D3, it just feels like anything's possible with it.
1: I think that was a really great summary of it. The main thing that it helps do is, I think there's, to me, it solves a really great kind of like bridging part of like, you have your data and that data means something and you, you know, maybe that data is basically like, years of weather temperature in a certain city or something like that. And to be able to show that on the screen, you need to be able to translate from like, you know, the year to an X coordinate and like the temperature to a Y coordinate or like, you know, you need to be able to map a color or something like that. And that translation is a lot of headache inducing work. And D3 is really great in that it takes care of that part a lot. It does a lot more than that. But to me, that's the most valuable part of the library of taking care of a lot of repeatable tasks in visualization and doing it in a very smart way. It does have the learning curve, but once you kind of, like, there's the initial learning curve, but once you get over that hump, the rest of the library actually comes in very intuitively.
2: I, I guess another thing when I was experiencing with it was I feel like it meshes really well with JavaScript's paradigm of tra- mm-hmm. kind of treating things as like functions as first-class citizens and like D3 ships with its own selector very similar to like jQuery selector and it just felt really intuitive when like traversing like an SVG DOM.
3: Have you ever used Smoothie? Smoothie No. Jazz? no. I like Smoothie JS. I've used it for a few years cuz it's really good for streaming data. Which, I don't know if D3 has evolved in the past couple of years for streaming data, like. So if you're
0: actually doing it as live data coming. Right. Smoothie works
3: really well for that. Very cool. I've
0: used that in the past. Yeah, I've never even heard of it.
1: Does it take care of, when you say streaming data, does it take care of the data part? Or does it take care of visualizing that data? Did that make sense? Both.
3: And it it streams data over time, but it it does the adjustments for you on the axis, which is really helpful. That's really awesome. You wouldn't think, like, oh, I need to adjust, like. Right, 100%, it's like you can't even yeah. see it anymore. It adjusts for you over time. Oh, really so it's actually adjusting the X and Y for right. you, Dep- the even if it's going up horizontal, yeah. it's going yeah. up and down. It's pretty oh, cool. Oh, That is very cool. That is really cool. Here's my thing with D3, and I think the issue that a lot of people run into, how do you do streaming data? So it's going to update itself, but how do you do that within the regards of like React or Angular, or Ember, or something like that, where they have their own model for updating the DOM, but D3 also has its own model that lives outside of that? Like, how does that all play together?
1: Okay, so I only have experience with Backbone and React. I never did Angular or any of the others. So it's exactly as you touched on because React and Backbone and all of these have the V part of MVC, and D three is very opinionated on how, like, it you know touches the document But um, I think the Biggest thing about using D3 with all of those is figuring out what you're trying to do and then and then deciding who's going to have control of the dom because only one person is allowed to right and so i think for most use cases for react i would actually say react should have control of the dom because it takes care of the updating underneath the hood so that you don't have to whereas like d3 one of the biggest learning curves for d3 is the way that it updates so it has like the enter update exit paradigm that's like kind of hard for people to wrap their minds around cuz it's like completely non-intuitive, even as a developer. And I feel like developing itself is already non-intuitive. <laughs> <laughs> so
4: you're just like
1: non-intuitive on top of non-intuitive. And then I've had experiences where I run into tra- trouble trying to update with D3 because sometimes there's just way too many things I need to keep track of. So I actually really like how React has a virtual DOM that updates for you on the back end. Having said that, the powerful thing about D3 isn't just about how to select and traverse the DOM. It's a lot of D3's value is in the translation between data and visual encoding. Um, so ev- so even if you decide to use the one of the FDC frameworks to work with the DOM, you can use D3 to do that kind of like data calculation part. And if you do decide to use D3 for the DOM manipulation itself, you just need to make sure that your framework doesn't step on D3 doing that and vice versa. That's probably the best answer I've figured out just being like aware of how you're using both. So I u- I was using Backbone very religiously to build my web apps that have visualizations and then I moved to React a few years ago because at first it seems like they wouldn't work together at at all, because they seem to be doing the same exact thing, except one's under the hood and one's within your control. But once you start to realize that like React doesn't actually care about knowing every single part of your application, it starts to make a lot of sense using React and D3 together. And actually, a lot of times, so I use both a lot in a lot of my projects. And the way that I actually use it is oftentimes I'll actually have D3 control the DOM and that's only because there's a few things that D3 does really well that React just doesn't. Um, one of the things that um, I still rely on D3 heavily for is like it has a really great function for creating axes and for creating like brushing functionality and that you would use a lot in visualizations that like people wouldn't do for regular web apps, right? So React Of course, wouldn't. And then uh, there's a lot of like dragging functionality and animations that, like, I think React is getting a lot better with the animations, but like D3 still handles a lot better. So I usually just make like a black box React element, like an element, and then just do all my D3 within there.
0: That makes sense too. And right when you touch on the animations, any of us who's written React, it does not. Animations did not come easy. No. It's gotten better, it has, and there's mm-hmm. been some libraries that have helped a lot with it. Yeah. But yeah, it is it's still not perfect. So I can see why you head towards D3 at that point yeah. for animating. It's an old old
3: argument with React. And, it it like, really is. Yeah, it, I think the main problem with D three is like you have to know D three to use D three. You mm-hmm. can't just be like, I'm gonna use a wrapper, because I just did a quick search for like React D three wrapper. And there's still not one because it's not that easy. And people have tried. They try for Angular. They try for React. I don't even know if it's possible. Like, I've never seen a good solution to, so like, a, uni- a wrapper.
1: Sorry. I think um, the best one I've seen is probably, it's called, um, I've never used it myself, but I think it was, like, faux D3D. DOM or something like that. And it was a really interesting solution where they were saying, I think if I remember correctly, it was saying instead of having D3 select actual DOM, let D3 select virtual DOM and work off of that or something along those lines. It was a very interesting solution. And my biggest concern with any D3 wrapper is that the D3 library is so big and vast and has so many functionalities that like, Like, nobody's gonna go and re-implement everything, right? But I think that one, I talked briefly with the person that maintains it, and he was saying that it's actually not much more of a maintenance cost to keep up to date with the D3 library, something along those lines. But that's the closest I've seen, but I definitely agree that it's really hard to make a wrapper.
2: Yeah, well, and then the other thing is D3. So when I used D3, it was still like a giant minified JavaScript, but they broke it up, which was actually super smart. So now that if you needed only one specific thing, then you can just NPM install that. It's more component-based at that point. So
0: we've talked a little bit about D3 integrating with frameworks. Is React seeming to be the best one for the job? Like, I know you talked about Backbone, that you were using that. Haven't had much experience with Angular, but is React kind of the one that people are going to at this point?
1: Um, that's a really interesting question, and I don't think I'm the best person to talk about that just because I only have the backbone in React. Having said that, I actually first want to say that you don't need an MVC framework for data visualization. Just like, if I just want to make sure that whoever is starting out with D3 doesn't think that they have to have reactor You have
0: to have a React experience, you have to have D3. No, that's a good point. I feel like that's more if you had Application. You would maybe have React, and then you're like part of the application, there's this data visualization Mm -hmm. part, and that's where you add D3. But if it's just the data visualization, you probably don't need it You probably should not. (laughs) You probably shouldn't. You're just overkilling at that point and not getting any benefit from it.
1: Yeah. So I actually really quickly want to plug. um, So a really great example of this is that um, the D3 community actually has this website called blocks.org, bl.ox.org, which is a gallery of like, I think, 20 something thousand examples of people just using D3 and then there's just all one page index htmls and then to to just show that you can build really quite complicated visualizations sometimes in just one page of html you really don't need anything else having said that i think a lot of times people use react and d3 or any of the frameworks with d3 together because like you said it's you already have the react app and you just need a database in that I come from the other way around where I build data visualizations. And the reason why I use React is because when I want to get beyond just a like just a visualization that shows the data, and what I mean by that is that I love building tools with visualizations, tools that I can use to, like, so there's the visualization itself, and then there is the tools around it that helps you filter or aggregate, or even sometimes the what I used to work on is this thing that helps the user kind of do actions that will manipulate the data. So like the security company I was talking about before, their visualization, it wasn't just a visualization of the network traffic, it was a visualization with a set of tools on top of it that like allows you to right away in that tool, like, you know, secure a like particular traffic or something. And then and then that, that means that like from a technical perspective, the data is being manipulated and that visualization is being update it on the spot like things like that where there's an the interactivity of some sort and then I need to keep track of state that's when that's when I go to react or backbone that's when I used to go to backbone now I go into react and so the way that I like to think about it is you don't need an MVC framework to build a visualization unless you want to do something that requires um, having a maintaining state. It's a great way to summarize. Good
0: explanation. I Thank like you. that. Yeah. I've been
1: thinking about this a lot. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. I, I have some React conferences coming up where I'm giving talks. So I have been having to think about, like,
0: yeah. Well, and, I, and I think, like, sometimes, too, is people hear, like, we're talking about React or we're talking about Backbone or Angular, and it's like, okay, great. Well, I need to know all those things just to do some data visualization no, and yeah. it's like, no, 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 spend more time on D3 and don't even worry about that kind of stuff until later. Like a static site would be better putting D3 in there and not worrying about a full application at that yeah. point. You, you don't need a single page application. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, and I think it's good advice is just like, know what you're trying to do and don't get
3: overwhelmed by all the tools that are out there. Yeah, I think like Stacey touched on it. We've all kind of briefly touched on it. To me, like My personal opinion, I think as a front-end engineer or UI engineer, data visualization is one of the hardest things you can do because it, it's, it's like you have to understand statistical modeling. You have to understand, like, okay, I, I have some data I want to display. How do I want to display it? Mm-hmm. Do I want to be interactive? Okay. So you need to make sure the data is in the right shape before you do that. Then you need to understand the visualization library. Then if you want to do interactivity, you need to understand, like, React, Angular, Ember, whatever you're using. Like, that's a lot of skill sets. And then you need to design the, like, the... the, the psychology
1: of how right. people, yeah, perceive these patterns. That's hard. And yeah, that's it's, so it's many skill sets.
3: That's why I like data viz. Like, engineers, I'm like, props to you. Like, that's, it's very, very hard.
2: It's a good skill set to have.
1: <laughs> on, on behalf of the niche of five data visualization engineers,
2: <laughs> I thank you for your compliments. <laughs> I think, like, within the few coming years like data visualization is gonna start booming as like an industry. Or like even data science right now is starting to boom. Definitely. Yeah, there's like bigger. such a huge demand for it because there's so much data. I, I don't wanna use big data as a buzzword because <laughs> <laughs> it's such a buzzword. Large data. <laughs> large data large, large, data. Da- large, data, but large data sets. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It there's like, like there's just so much data that people need to consume and like it's really awesome that there's like people who are like really focused on asking the questions of what should people be seeing and Focusing on how we communicate that.
1: So adding on top of that, I actually um, so we think about this quite a bit. Elijah Meeks and Suzy Lu at Netflix. So Elijah kind of talked about like what is data visualization and like what is the role of like say a data visualization engineer and like does that mean coding in D3? Does that mean data science? Or does that so there's been a lot of really interesting discussions about like it's it's kind of like this new, weird hybrid role that's coming up and like, what does that mean? And my personal opinion is like, I think it's separate from data science in that like there's data scientists that do that really well. I don't understand what they do, but um, I think... And I'm gonna borrow what Susie says, which is like, I think data visualization is going to be more a design practice. And what I mean by that is like, I think a lot of it comes from a like, the psychology of how do people perceive colors and how do people perceive different like, you know, visual shapes like these circles and how do people like perceive patterns on a screen and then like, what does that mean to represent a data set or something like that? So I think there is definitely the data science of understanding what the data is saying and there is definitely the coding part of kind of like what a front-end engineer, like what we have to do right now of like making that happen, but then I think the most important part is actually going to be the design part of figuring out just what to show and how to show it. So that's my little like, been thinking about this for the last few months
4: kind of thing. (laughs) That's a really good way to describe it. An example of that, recently I came across a, a site that was using data visualization to show, and this is sort of a sad topic, but like San Francisco and the, the housing crisis and, and how like all that works together and this loophole of landlords being able to do something like to declare mm-hmm. some sort of, you know, bankruptcy. I don't know, there's like a way to like kick people out. And So this, this, this visualization was to show where people have been evicted due to this mm-hmm. rule to enable like building more expensive housing now you could have just done like a little dot to be like boop boop someone was evicted boop 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 but they did this like bubble that got bigger and bigger Uh. almost like an explosion or whatever so it's much more dramatic and it looked like you know bad things happening in a very dramatic way and like the way that that was visualized I think had a very high impact on, on you um, seeing it. So,
1: yeah, I know we're supposed to talk about how to learn D3, but um, <laughs> this is actually also something no, no, I'm really excited about, um, which is kind of like there's more and more people talking about data empathy, kind of, which is um, also really interesting because um, I think for a while we forgot that data is oftentimes made up of people and people's behaviors and I mean like sometimes it's like earthquakes or like which is not people but um, a lot of times data is people and data itself has always felt kind of hard and cold and numbers and mm-hmm. like how do you visualize that in such a way that it comes it respects the people the the actual data set underneath but also it conveys that in an emotionally impactful way and so that's a really great example of voice and um, I think the most recent, I watched a conference talk by uh, Lisa Cross at OpenViz um and it was called I think um, "A Data Point Walks Into a Bar." I think <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. she was like, "I just made this title to get like picked for the talk or something," but it was all about data and empathy, and she makes really great points about like what's the good mix of because you know uh, like images and there's definitely. Things that evoke emotion and then there's also but then she's saying that you can't have just one or the other you have to have a mix so that you need to be able to capture a person's attention with the emotional aspect but then to be able to kind of keep their interest and give them something meaningful to hold on to you need the data and the like more logical side and then I think on top of what you just listed as an example there's some um, in the past few years, I think did that so well. Um, one of them is called. It's by periscopic and it's called. Um, I think the number of Gun Deaths. Have you guys seen that one?
0: I might have seen this. It scares me too. I have not seen it, but
1: Gun just Deaths in the U.S. by periscopic. I think maybe.
2: Oh, um, oh, yeah. yeah. I actually gave them. They, he, they were one of my picks. They're like a visualization firm oh cool yes. yeah, yeah yeah they do they, good they, with they, data they have great, yeah. great data visualizations so so it's, awesome yes
1: um so i pulled it up nobody that's listening to the podcast will be able to see it <laughs> but <Wow>. uh, <laughs> but u.s gun deaths in 2013 and it kind of slowly like Starts to see it show you like oh um, it's it, it's these curves and then as the curve per- starts it's kind of showing you like there's a drop in the middle which is when that person was killed and then it kind of keeps drawing that curve of when they were projected to be able to live and then it shows you kind of then like the 12,000 people killed and how many stolen years and it's like this chilling like but really powerful i get chills looking at this even like because this came out i guess 2013 or 2014 and every single time i look at it i still get chills Mm -hmm. yeah
0: that was a cool way to visualize it
3: it sucks that seeing it but it's it is a cool way it does grab your attention yeah so now we're on data visualization we touched on it how do you handle like the ethical parts of data because like you can make data look like any way you want depending on like your axis things like that like what do you like how do you handle that like morally? You were like our company's on a trajectory for growth and it's like just this year, but like the other years are like you suck. Things like that. Like
1: Oh, interesting. I thought you meant um so this is another thing I've been thinking about a lot. I thought you meant like because the data is actually underneath, they're all people, so then like, how do you make sure that people are anonymized and like, cause there are some more sensitive data sets out there, um, right, of like say incarceration data or of like people's salaries or, um, and how do you protect them? I thought that was <laughs> actually.
3: A bit of both, like I think, again, this, I think this is why data visualization is so hard. Well, Here.
0: at that point, I think, I would hope that you're removing like any personal data
1: I definitely agree with that. I think it, again, goes back to what you're trying to do. And then so like, for example, for that, being able to just having the demographics of that user and then being able to tie that to how they, like maybe that's enough. But then like going back to the emotions, like um, what if being able to see the actual, like being able to see that person's picture or like what if that gets the emotional connection? So then that gets uh, into like, a really hard area of like I'm definitely for anonymization most of the time but then like w- what if it's more impactful to like not anonymize and then and then where do you draw the line there kind of it's a hard line it's a hard line to draw or like it rather it's a it's not hard it's like a soft like gray <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I don't think that was really what you were seeing as much.
3: No, but I, I like your point. But mine was more of like, okay, CEO of Big Corp, uh, she comes up to you and says like, "Hey, I want to show that for 2016, our company was profitable," uh-huh. and you can manip- manipulate the data to make it look that way. If yeah. you only show like one year, or you show it over the past ten years, mm-hmm. something like that, and that happens a lot in, so like news. The news like mm-hmm. simplifies graphs. Like, yes. here's yes. gun deaths, but like here's heart attack rates, so gun deaths are, like, so trivial, and you're like, oh, yeah, it is, because, like, the layman just looking at it, it's like, oh, yeah, gun deaths aren't important, but... Compared to something Compared to something big, yeah. but yeah. that's that's manipulating kind
2: of yeah. the data because you're trivializing things, and, like, how do
3: you deal with that ethical dilemma?
2: Like, for me, like, I definitely believe that is an ethical dilemma, mm-hmm. um, but I also think, like, as people, like, as, and as, like, our, like, as the world just kind of gets more like integrated with technology like we should all start asking like the bigger questions and start questioning that mm-hmm. like you now there's those assholes who just like they look at something and they like make some smart ass comment about something i actually love those assholes for visualizations <laughs> <to laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. because like i've actually seen a lot of like you know on reddit like they'll post like these things like oh like blah blah x is like greater than y so x is caused by y there will be all these like smart people who will ask like oh yeah but is that really y and blah 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 and there are those are like super valid questions i feel like it's like a responsibility of us to kind of like start thinking about the bigger picture
0: like you should always be questioning yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah
2: like i mean and like you know and if it turns out like it's actually true then like oh well well shit <laughs> but but you know Right, like actually, like so at Evernote, when we have all hands and they show those data, like people ask questions about it, like mm-hmm. oh well, what about this and that, and so yeah, hopefully usually they have answers for those.
4: Yeah, two sides to that, right? Because like right. right, we we come from somewhat privileged backgrounds of having really good education and mm-hmm. to understand critical thinking and to and to question those things, but some people maybe don't have that some that's of that privilege and then yeah. they'll just accept what they see as like well of course that's truth I mean why how could it possibly be on television if it's not been vetted and true and yeah like that's where the I think the line gets tougher because you're like well not everybody has that that skill set and how do you make sure you're doing the right thing for them too
1: and I think um this is I guess not as related any more into data but the whole like benefit of the doubt that we give experts like even even with educational backgrounds like if things like because I think we're a little bit more wary about TV now but like we just kind of give exp- who we consider experts as the benefit of doubt of what they're saying, and then definitely that's true for a lot of people. Like, I think, like, if I think about my parent, like, my mom, like, intelligent lady, but like, for a lot of when she sees something on television, she's like, oh yeah. It's true, it's been
2: vetted, it's it's been, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. With, like, educational background, but when it comes from a quote-unquote authority figure, I think that's definitely hard. I think from the... And and then now if we take it onto the other side of not as the viewer but as the producer of the data, I think there's definitely gray areas sometimes of like how how do you respect the data and how do you show the data. But like for kind of the examples that you were saying about like it's kind of more along the lines of manipulating data. My my hope is that as the creator of the visualization or er, that we will do the right thing do, do, <laughs> do the right, right thing right yeah. Right. right
2: yeah it is a gray area it kind of speaks to the power that data people who do data visualization have right like it, there is an ethical thing about it where like they can convey whatever message they want granted like people can ask questions and maybe find the truth if they really want to but like yeah
0: you can definitely manipulate the data yeah
2: yeah
3: cuz yeah. we we have so much data now like I think that's where we're at a, we're at a, a pivotal point because we collect so much data, but we don't know what to do with it yet. We will in the future, but all our phones, our laptops are all sending like tele- telemetry to their parent companies. So mm. what do we do with that data? And it's decision makers like, I want more data. And you're like, okay, surely like, hook me up. Like, give me a good visualization of who've, who's more productive, uh, Ryan or uh, Augustus. And you're like, okay, I'll just do by like commits on GitHub, and like you visualize that, you're like, oh, Augustus does like a million commits. So he's way more productive, <laughs> but he could
0: do like a one-line code yeah. commit. And right. was, yeah, exactly. But there.
4: But is that really true. productivity? Yeah. Right. Yeah. right, but right. Right. like you could oh, totally
3: yeah. be like, I I like Augustus more than right, I can manipulate this data to look like this yeah. easily, and it's not it's not inherently wrong because you're not wrong. But mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. Like, how do you? Bring that out? Uh, that's
1: such a hard, hard
3: <laughs> I question. Know, sorry.
1: That's a lot. I think, and I, I would say, I think, um, definitely agree. And I think it's even more dangerous, let's say, when um, that bias is subconscious. Um, and I feel like oftentimes it is, because you can take the best person with the best. Um, like goals and like what they're with what they're trying to do and the best intentions and but then we have like ingrained social biases or that we're not even aware of and then um i don't have a good answer it's kind of like i think i think as the producer of the visualization I have to always be aware that I have my own biases and I need to be careful and that I need to ask other people what they think about what I'm trying to convey or if there's something like that user or feedback or even just like feedback from friends. And as the consumer of the visualization, we need to always be careful that like whoever is behind that visualization is not an infallible robot. Person, um, which is <laughs> logic and cold calculation, but rather a person or a team of persons with with biases and um, known or not. And so, I don't have a great answer other I think that's
0: than
3: just tough to in general. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it is like that moral dilemma at that point. It's hard. Yeah. The my favorite one. I'll drop it because like this really. I like ethical questions are yeah. really interesting. But the climate change charts. It's mm-hmm. like. Climate change past 100 years, the Earth's getting warmer. And then some anti-climate change people be like, well, if you look at over a million years, like the Earth goes through hot and cold periods. And I'm like, they're both right, but it depends on where you're watching, like what your previous biases. Be like, I agree with that, I disagree with that, but that's the problem. They're both right. So yeah. it's I don't know. It's hard. These are hard questions.
4: I think it's because you can't abstract data away from psychology when you're talking about humans. Like yeah. those, you just can't do it. And like. If, I had a manager years ago, and I'll never forget it. It's ingrained in my head. He always said, he said, figures lie and liars figure. And it was, it's Interesting. Like, it sat, yeah, it sat in my one. head for like forever. Shout out to Dave, my old manager. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think about that when I think about data and like to that point, like, oh, if you've, you know, 17,000 commits and, 5,000 commits yeah. that developer is much better and you're like yeah. no yeah. like that figure can give you totally the wrong impression and So you have to take that human element into it all the time, which is why it's so complicated it's hard. I
1: actually wonder if maybe like because right now I work by myself um doing data visualization um but like maybe in the future we'll start having a team of data visualization designer engineers um and in that case i wonder having a room full of people that think about this and try and think about because like by myself i have my biases and then by two like with two people we have our biases but maybe with a team full of people we're more aware of the biases that we're showing and maybe
0: What's the best way to get started learning about data visualization? How do you jump in if I wanted to start coding up some data visualization? What's the best route to go? What are some resources, tutorials? What are things that we could start doing?
1: Okay, so um, I'm going to not answer the... It as data visualization, but I'm gonna answer it as D3 because I feel like even within data visualization, there's like different paths you can do. Like, um, for example, you can go learn Tableau or go learn like ggplot and R, Or, um, but the one that I'm most familiar with is the D3 path. And then I'm Which pers- and a lot of
0: our listeners are JavaScript engineers, makes sense. so that, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, um, and then I'm. this is where I do a shameless plug that I have a front-end master's workshop um, that's an introduction to D3, and basically the way I thought it through is um, five years ago when I was learning D3, what would I have, how would I have liked to learn it for the smoothest possible onboarding? But beyond that, um, I think I actually, um, a lot of the ways that I learned it was um, just with the D3. So the D3 website itself is kind of um, overwhelming because it has like so many examples and so many tutorials and the API reference is really great but really, really detailed and really overwhelming. So I think a lot of the way that um, I learned it is if you have the benefit of community, and in the Bay Area there's a really great community of um, D3 Bay Area meetups and folks, and like, um, and we have events like every single month. And if you just go there and be like, I'm stuck on this problem or I'm confused, somebody will be helping, will be there to help. If you unfortunately don't have that. The other ways that I've found to be good learning is there's actually um, a few books that are really great. Um, so there's, a I think, An Introduction to Interactive Visualizations, I think, is the title, um, by Scott Murray. And that one is really great because it, it actually teaches you kind of, um, HT- well, if you don't have any programming background, then it's really great because it teaches you HTML, SVG, and then it also teaches you um, D three different parts of the D3 library. And I think um, for a bit more advanced um, functionality and such, and um, I think Um, Elijah Meeks from Netflix he has one called D3 in Action and that one goes more into like once you have the kind of intro part covered he kind of talks about different like visualization layouts and different kind of I think psychology and philosophies and he actually even in his second edition has a chapter on React in D3 so like it's very very good if you like learning from um, uh, learning from books and then another Slightly biased answer is if you don't like books, my friend Nadie Bremer, she runs a um, website called VisualCinnamon.com, and she has a whole section about how to get started with data visualization and all the resources and all the books that are great. And that one actually involves not only D3 but like kind of data visualization principles. So kind of like those like things I was talking about before about how do you like colors and shapes and kind of like this that more design aspect of data visualization so yeah i think those
2: (laughs) yeah
0: even some of those principles i always think back to i'm sure you've seen the books but like by edward tuft is like those books are amazing like it actually opened my mind to so many ways of like yeah like colors and how you display Mm -hmm. data not so much of the like technical aspect but it's really on how should something be visualized? And I always think those are good resources too. Um, I think yeah. he has like three or four books on. He it. has four. I have four. them all in my bookshelf. I believe shop. I do as well. <laughs> and I couldn't remember how many there were in the collection. I'm like, there's like three, maybe four. So, yeah. For,
1: I guess, more data visualization principles and stuff, if books are not your thing, there's two websites I like following. And there's a lot more than just these two websites. But um, I love following um, flowing data. Um, dot com I think um, by Nathan Yao um, and he actually has a lot of tutorials I think more are focused but then um, he runs a newsletter where he just posts any interesting visualization related um, things that he sees and so those are great because I think I firmly believe that um, you know to get good at d3 you just need to practice and look through all the examples and then just kind of think through what you want to build but to get good at data visualization it's kind of like it's like design you have to just look at a lot at other people's work and be able to pick and figure out like what's good like and be able to see a person's work and be able to see oh that works well and that doesn't work well and be able to internalize it and then Um, so Nathan posts a lot of um, kind of what he sees in the wild and then um, Andy Kirk who runs a website called uh, visualizingdata.com I think where the visualizing is with an S and not a Z Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a lot of he's British I think there's a lot of really interesting anyways (laughs) Um, and then so visualizingdata.com and he also runs this website and then I think news, newsletter slash RSS feed that like picks and he has like a best of March or like best of 2016 or so, something like that. But the one I really love is um, his a series called uh, The Little of Data Visualization, where he'll just kind of, he'll see something and he'll like, it's a tiny little detail that most people would like, you know, not notice, like a tiny little design decision or like that most people might not have noticed. And he'll like pick that up and say why he likes it and why it's important. Like I think the last one I remember is like um, you know something as simple as um, a column of like country names and one of them was too long to fit into one row. and then that whoever made that, I think either they you know truncated it into one row or um, something along those lines where it's tiny little things that he points out as good practice. Um, which I think is really great to follow.
0: That's really cool. At the end of each episode, we like to share things that we've found interesting or that we liked, and would like to share with our listeners. Let's go around the table and share our picks for today's episode. Augustus, you may as well start it off.
2: Okay, sure. Uh, I, so I actually wanted to add to if you're learning D three, Mike Bostock has like a bunch of articles he's written, like explaining like the kind of the reasons why he made things. Mm-hmm. So like starting off with how selections work, actually like when I first read it, um, I thought I understood it, but then like, then I came back to it later. And I was like, oh, now I understand it more. So I actually think like if you read this and then go through a lot of Shirley's code camps and those articles and then like come back to it, it'll like make a lot of sense, but definitely like check out his articles for learning D3. And then I have two picks. One is Pokemon Terminal. So like my terminal like has like a Pokemon now, so there's, like, a whirl, and oh if I type God. Pokemon, or whoops, or, well, I have it in, like, my bash profile, and then, like, it chooses a random one. So there's, like, a random Pokemon. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. So it's, like, cute, and, like, when you, I don't know, I think it's pretty cool. Makes your terminal more exciting. Yeah, it makes Wait, my terminal more exciting. E- and they support, like, three regions of Pokemon, so there's, like, Kanto region, and... yeah, yeah it's oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, so it's pretty cool. Um, and then the other one um, is D3 annotation. Um Actually, I think you tweeted it, so that which is how I found it. And you mentioned Susie Lim, and she was the one who wrote it. Um, it's like an awesome library. Like annotations are something you're probably going to need to support, and if you want to make your like D three chart. <laughs> <laughs> Ha-ha! ha It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. yeah, a while. <laughs> yeah. If you want to make your D three um, thing e wow. more more interactive, it's <laughs> definitely something you're going to come across. And I think they handle it super well. on the Documentation is just awesome, so. Shirley, what kind of picks do you have for us? I'm so (laughs) excited. I was
1: thinking about this. Okay, so I think I have three um, in three different categories. Um, So the first one is something I found recently. Um, It's called um, Domestic Data Streamers. And they're a uh, studio in Barcelona. And what they do is data inter, I I guess, participatory data installations. Um, And that sounds, it's super cool. So um, essentially what, uh, some of the examples of what they do is um, uh, they're always physical, the installation part. Um, And usually I think they're in like galleries or exhibits um, from my understanding. And then, um, so, Oh God, I didn't think through how to explain this. <laughs> so um, one of the things that they did is um, this thing where um, they asked people, so they have all these columns and then they asked people to like put a string through each of the columns. And then so a column could be like age or gender or like how do you feel about blah? And then like, you know, and then, um, and then they can put a stream through uh, whatever their answers are. So then, as that installation, that exhibit um, continued, and more and more people participated. Ba- a, it's essentially a data visualization that kind of appeared as as the day went on, or the week went on, or That's something so like cool. that, right? Yeah. Isn't it amazing? And then there's another one um, that I thought was really amazing um, that they were talking about, which is I think they wanted to see, like it was called like golden age where um, it's a big grid of on one side one axis is what your current age is and the other axis is um, what you thought was your best age like or that you had the best time in and then they had like these rings that kind of look like the like tree like rings of like life tree rings and then people would go and put that onto like wherever like what their age and their what their best time was and people would go stack that so then it's kind of like this data visualization that appears as people participate in it i thought that was such a cool cool like as somebody that does digital 2d only like in a like web page kind of thing i love it when and whenever somebody takes that into, like, the real physical world. Um, okay, that was really long, but that was no, my first that's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> Um And my my second one um, is kind of just uh, for data visualization, conferences. So OpenViz is my... OpenVis and d3onconf are my two favorite data visualization conferences. Those are the conferences if you want to get more involved into data visualization. You've
0: spoken at both of them, have you?
1: No, I've only spoken at OpenVis. Um, d3onconf is um, local to the Bay Area, and um, so my friends like Ian Johnson and quite a few other people people that help organize d3 Bay Area um, help organize d3onconf, and then um, none of us we try not to have any of us speak, because we figure that people see us too much anyways. Um, so we try to bring in, bring other, in people other people yep. from like outside of the Bay Area to come speak, which is really cool. And then the last one is a podcast. And then uh, my favorite data visualization podcast is called Data Stories. Um, it's run by, um, yeah, it's run by Stefan Stefaner and then Enrico, oh God, I never forget, I never remember his last name, and then Enrico, and one um, does kind of, Industry work, and the other one does academic. So Enrico is a professor, and so I love that combination of data visualization, but from the perspective of industry and academia.
4: So those are my picks.
0: Yeah. Great, Stacy. What do you have? I just
4: I have two. My my usual music pick, and then the uh, the first one is somewhat related. Uh, is first pick is SVG OMG. Um, <laughs> It's a site I came across when I was uh, somewhat related to data visualization, SVGs are usually a part of that equation. Um, I came across that when I was doing some work a few weekends ago um, related to SVG and React and trying to figure out how I could get it to work right and optimize it, Um, so very helpful tool. Uh, And The second pick is my usual music pick. Um, This one is Ellen Allian, her new album called Nost. I think I'm saying this correctly. I always pick things I can't pronounce. Like that's my, <laughs> <laughs> that's my uh, shtick. Um She's a German electronic musician. Uh, she's a founder of a label called B Pitch Control. She's coming to San Francisco soon. And I'm gonna pick, I picked up tickets. I'm very excited to see her. So yeah, that's my pick.
0: Awesome.
3: Gem, what do you have? My first pick is web typography for non-designers. I am a terrible designer. I aspire to get better at it, but I don't know if I ever will. I try, though. I try. But this is the whole site is about just how typography influences the way you think about a page. And it's really, really laid out for kind of the layman like me who don't understand design as well as I should. And they explain like kerning and things like that, which is really cool. Uh, Second pick is um, it's a music video, actually. It's from Jay Z's new album. Uh, It's the story of OJ. It's a really good video, kind of done in that old school, like. Disney style, and like it's animated, but like the characters in blackface, and it's like really offensive now, but that was acceptable like 50 years ago. But the I don't think the album's very good. Personal opinion, I'll get hate on it. I don't think Jay Z's album's very good, but I like the video and I like his message, and it's, it's worth watching.
0: I think. Awesome. No, I haven't actually listened to the album yet, and it's on my list. I almost like downloaded it before we came to, for the drive, but. Yes, I need to download that one. It's okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see how it is. Uh, so I have two picks. I don't know if any of our listeners, I hope you listen to Shop Talk Show. It's a good podcast. I thought I would pick one. Uh, one of their more recent episodes actually was about React and had Jem and I were on that along with one of our colleagues, Nofel, had joined us as well to talk about all the things that, re- that we do in React at Netflix. So I thought I should probably plug that as an episode uh, to check that one out. And my second pick is a Wi-Fi system that I just purchased which is called Amplify. It's actually really amazing. It was really really simple to set up and it helped get like really good coverage across my entire apartment. And it's probably the first time I've ever actually put a router on my desk. Usually I'm like hiding that like under in a cabinet or like under the table or wherever I can hide it so that people don't see it. This router is beautiful. It is like, has a little LCD screen on the front. It's got like a nice little light on it. It's beautiful. I really like it so far. I've had it for just about a week now running. It's good. I I really like it. So I recommend it if you're wanting to get a better signal across your apartment it's a good route to go so before we end the episode i want to thank shirley for being a guest and joining us it was awesome having you oh
1: thank you so much for having me this is really fun great
0: that's always what we like to hear where can people get in touch with you
1: Oh yeah, so, um, I'm on Twitter, um, on a slightly embarrassing handle, called S-X-Y-W-U, um, these are my initials, I did not realize that if you say them out loud.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, oh wow, I was, I was waiting for, like, why is that embarrassing, but, okay. If
1: it helps, I've never,
4: I never read it like that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. me neither, so.
1: <laughs> I've gotten comments about being like, wow, Shirley, really, and I'm like, it's <laughs> The X and y <laughs> y are. Yeah. X and Y are my Chinese initials. Um, yeah, I've gotten hate, and then my friends are like, just embrace it.
0: So, <laughs> I agree with that. Just embrace it. Don't change it. Leave it. You're oh yeah.
1: Good. So now I'm a uh, Twitter at sxywu. Uh, my uh, website is the same, sexywoo.com without the e. Um, I'm starting a Twitch to live code. Oh, same sweet. thing. Nice. Um, Medium. Same thing. Everything. All my social yep. media. Same. So one. you owned
0: it. Good. Oh yeah. I Love own it.
1: it. <laughs>
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, Google Play, or whatever you choose to listen to your podcasts on. You can also follow us on Twitter at FrontEndHH. Any last words? Charts. Charts. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.